Before we jump into today's topic, allow me to take just a moment to thank today's show sponsor, which is Organifi. You guys know how I feel about Organifi. It is my go-to. In fact, this is so refreshing. I have a glass of ice, fresh water mixed with pure and immunity. It's got just enough citrus. That's two of their products mixed together. I don't know if everybody likes the taste of that. I do. I love it. It's like an orange flavor. The immunity kind of tastes like orange. And then the pure has a lemony taste. And I mix two of them together. And that way I get everything I need for my immunity, my antiviral, my antifungal. It's just a great way to support your immune system every single day. And then I mix that with my Organifi Pure, which is it's basically all the superfoods that your brain needs to help reach maximum mental performance. In other words, it's what I drink to help me think better, to help my memory, to increase neurogenesis. And get this, this is the other reason why I drink it. Their product is clinically proven to boost BDNF, brain-derived neurotropic factor by up to 142%. Anyways, they've got tons of great products. Whatever your nutritional needs might be lacking or your palate might be craving, Organifi is definitely the company to check out. All right, guys, the cool news, get 20% off all of their products when you use code Shaleen. Again, it's Organifi, and I'm going to spell it O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash Shaleen. That's Organifi.com forward slash Shaleen, and you get 20% off. You're wrong. I mean, you're, you're just wrong. Hearing those words is never fun. No one wants to be wrong. No one likes to be wrong. It's uncomfortable to be wrong. But we're all wrong from time to time, and it's an important skill that we have to learn. You are listening to The Shaleen Show, and today I was wrong. I'm also recording this right now from a conference room at a little airport. It's a long story. I'm stranded in Las Vegas at the moment. It is 8 o'clock on a Sunday, and I was hoping that I would be home and be able to record this from my podcast studio but unfortunately, that didn't work out. That's okay. The show must go on. I don't want to leave you hanging. So here we are. Let's talk about being wrong. So I started preparing for this episode like probably a week or so ago. And it's just interesting how the world works, how God works, because today he gave me an opportunity to practice the skill that we're going to talk about today. It is a skill. It's something we all need to get better at, and that is being wrong. Now, I shouldn't say we all. Most people need to get better at it because there are those people who are so quick to say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm wrong, I'm wrong, and like just apologize for something that they didn't do to take ownership for something that isn't theirs to own, to bend over backwards just to please people and become a doormat and to adopt other people's opinions and and to never stand up for themselves. So we're really not talking about that person. We're talking about the fact that most of us really hate being wrong. And why is that? Well, for some of us, it, it could be because like growing up, you have everything right. Or maybe it was modeled to you. Maybe you had a parent who was never wrong. It didn't matter what you presented to them. It doesn't matter, you know, what stats or data or science or facts, they didn't care. They were going to be right, and that's that. They just stop listening. They tune you out when you're trying to have a discussion because they 
need to be right, which is, if you think about it, think about the person you know who needs to always be right. Let me start there. I hope someone's come to mind. They cannot be wrong. Does it make you like them anymore? Does it give them credibility? Are they more believable? Do you think that you can trust them more because they are certain they're always right? Or do all those things go down? I mean, they do. But isn't it interesting that we hate feeling like we're wrong and we really hate admitting we're wrong? So why is that? Well, a couple of reasons. I think the first is, especially when we're like really holding tight to an argument and we're just determined to convince everybody that we are a thousand percent right, when we have to admit that we're wrong, then it feels like it's saying something about who we are. Not that like the facts or my statement or my opinion were wrong, but like I'm wrong. I'm a mistake. I didn't get it right. And I think a lot of people wrap their ego around being right. So knowing that this is a skill, it is, that we all have to work on. The next thing I want to ask you, and you know, it's just your opinion, when you have witnessed somebody admit that they're wrong or change their opinion, go, wow, you know, guy, you got a point. That's a, I never looked at it that way. That is a really good point. I Thank you. You've really opened up my mind or I was wrong. Holy cow, you're right. I was wrong. Does it make you like them more? Always. Does it elevate your opinion of them? A thousand percent. Does it make you trust them more? Of course. Of course, there's always the exception of the person who is just agreeing because they want to be liked. And we're not talking about that person. We're talking about the average person. For most of us, it's an unpleasant feeling to be wrong. It's something most of us want to avoid. In fact, we'll go to great lengths to not just defend our beliefs, but also to defend them to ourselves. You know, we I talk about this a lot on the show, that cognitive dissonance, where once we believe something, then we look for more evidence of that. And even if there's more evidence to the contrary, we don't see that. Like we only see the things that support our opinion or our beliefs, whatever that is. And we might even go to great lengths to defend our beliefs subconsciously and consciously, even when we know in the back of our mind that we're wrong and we know it's holding us back. As Mark Twain once said, what gets us in trouble is not what we don't know. It's what we know for sure, but it isn't so. Love that quote. I mean, every single day, we all make mistakes. I mean, you're going to be wrong about something. You can't always be right about everything. No one in the world is perfect. That that person just does not exist. So learning how to be wrong and when and how to identify when you're wrong and how to handle it when you're wrong is a skill that's really powerful. I mean, it's a really important skill. It's an important skill as a parent, as a partner, as a friend. Can you imagine if we had politicians like I mean, can you even imagine if our politicians would admit when they were wrong? It would never happen for whatever reason. So let me tell you what happened to me that I got to put this into practice today. So I have been listening to, I bought the book and I bought the Audible, listening to an Audible book 
called Brazen, B-R-A-Z-E-N. And it's by Julia Hart. And I think it's Hart with two A's. This is a very controversial book. It is a book in alignment with like a whole bunch of the books that I've been reading lately. I know you guys have listened to those episodes where I've recommended audiobooks, but you probably have picked up on the theme that I do find it very fascinating to listen to autobiographies from people who have left a fundamentalist religious group. And I find this very fascinating. And I'm going to share with you some of my opinions. And I know that some of them are going to offend some of you. But many of those fundamentalist groups, doesn't matter what religion it is, there are just some practices, in my opinion, that are really meant to keep people separate from the rest of the world to make sure that they aren't educating themselves, that they are in this tiny little bubble. And in many of these instances, not all, but in many of them, it's a very misogynistic, patriarchal system where women aren't allowed to be educated, don't have an opinion, have to be covered, are blamed for men's sexual desires, etc. Not all. But a lot of these books that I'm reading, it's like, wow. Okay, so there's that intertwined with a lot of these biographies, the author's experience in a particular family and how the family interpreted the laws of that religion, the fundamentalist practices of that particular religion. And that's kind of separate, right? So there are those who practice a form of fundamentalism who would say, this person's book or that person's book, I'm not just talking about Julia because I've read a bunch of them. And they would say, their family interpreted things very differently. That's not how most people are. I get it. I still find these books very fascinating. So I have was talking about uh, the latest one that I'm reading by this author, Julia Hart. And I said on my Instagram stories that I, I tried to explain that she came from a very, very traditional, not even traditional, I don't know how you would describe it, but beyond Orthodox Jewish practice. And I forget how she described the sect that she was a part of. She lived in an area of New York called Muncie. And she describes what it was like in her family and and some of the Jewish practices. And these aren't traditional Jewish practices per se, but Orthodox Jewish practices. And I found it really disturbing and fascinating. And I said that. And I also said on my Instagram stories that you have to take into consideration that her experience is from within her family. It's not a representation of everyone. But I wasn't clear enough about that part, I guess, because then I woke up the next day, which is today, Sunday, and I just was, I don't know if there's like a Facebook group or if a small enough community where I just had hundreds of messages from people who were very outraged by my recommending that book and really, really upset. But I will have to say this. I mean, I certainly haven't read all the messages, but of the ones that I did, they were written very well, very compelling. And I, when I got quite a few, when you get one or two, you're like, eh, whatever, right? But when you get quite a few, and this is true for any of us, when quite a few people are telling you, "Mm," or you're hearing it from more than one person, like, eh, I think you I don't know that you're right about that. Or you might want to consider this. 
I think that's your number one sign that you do need to pull yourself out of it, take your ego out of it to admit that like, I don't need to be right, but what I do need to do is perhaps get more information and look at things objectively. And this is in large part because I was fortunate enough to get these messages from individuals who had written, I thought, very thought-provoking responses to me. They they were very impassioned. Some of them were more angry than others. Some of them were a little bit more accusational than others. But there were quite a few that were just really well put and articulate and kind and thought-provoking. And I thought they made good arguments. I thought they made really good arguments. And they also said how hurtful it was and that, you know, they're already fighting all of the stigma and anti-Semitism. And the second they said anti-Semitism, I'm like, I didn't even think about, I'm wrong for having talked about it in that way because I hadn't even thought about the impact it could have on, you know, anti-Semitism, especially here in the United States or anywhere. So after reading some of their messages, then I went back and re-listened to what I said and I thought, I owe these, this population an apology because I did say some things. I think I said, this is a religion that is shrouded in secrecy. And a few people have very articulated, articulate, wait, what's the word? Very articulately, God, these are big words, after a long weekend, made the point to me that what religion isn't really shrouded in secrecy unless you're on the inside of it, right? Like, Religions don't broadcast their rules, their laws, their practices, their beliefs per se. You know them because maybe it's a more popular religion or it's a religion that people are exposed to, but that that was really unfair to characterize people who are Orthodox Jews as being very secretive or shrouding their religion in secrecy. And I thought, okay, that's fair. That's fair. What I should have said is, those of us who are not, and I, so I went back on my Instagram stories and I apologized. I apologized for offending them and I apologized for the way I characterized their religion, that part of it. And I apologized for not being more clear about the reason why I think this book is an interesting read. It doesn't mean that everything she says is truthful. It's an autobiography, the same way I recommend documentaries that I think are good, it doesn't necessarily mean that everything in it is factual. It it means I've enjoyed it. I find it thought-provoking in much the same way I've shared with you guys that there have been several different books that I've recommended that are on complete polar opposite sides of an opinion. And I think that's important because none of us are always right. There is more than one way to look at anything There's always three sides to the story. There's your version, there's my version, and then the truth apparently is somewhere in between. But it was an opportunity for me to practice being wrong. And so when we are wrong, it is important to say that and to try to do so without making excuses, especially when it's to another person. But I think there's a difference between making an excuse, I'm sorry, but, and also explaining, I'm wrong, and let me explain where I was wrong. And so that's what I did. I explained that where I was wrong, where I would like to apologize was the way that I characterized their religion as being shrouded in secrecy. I think that there is a lot of mystery for those of us who are outside of any religion like that. But what I did state at the end of that was, however, I am also entitled to my opinion. And my opinion is that the book is 
fascinating. And I think the things that many people are upset about with this book are not what I find fascinating about this book. I do find the practices interesting and fascinating, and I don't agree with many of them. But that's what we all have living here in the United States anyways, is freedom of religion. I don't want to make this about religion, so let me move on. Shall I? Yes. The lesson that I got to learn today is that it is really important to not feel like it's something personal about you if you're wrong. It didn't mean I was a bad person that I got it wrong, that I said it wrong. And setting my example aside, think about any situation where you later find out like, I probably took too strong of a stance on that, or maybe I was wrong. And if you are able to, to admit that you're wrong, it's an incredible benefit to you and everybody else. One of the reasons why is because it shows people that you're human. Last week when I was doing all of my business workshops, I kept telling people, and, and this is true, if you want to be successful at pretty much anything, but especially as an entrepreneur, you have to find joy in making mistakes. And the sooner you can get to that place, the more free you're going to feel and the more success you're going to experience. Because no one can be successful without a lot of failures. But ironically, if for most of us in school, the way we were raised, that's not how you were to succeed. You succeeded by getting things right. You succeed by studying the exact answers, being overly prepared, prepare, 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 take the test, get the answers right, succeed. You did great. Whereas in the real world, and especially for entrepreneurs and, and just, I think, for anything, that's not how it works. Because if you just prepare and prepare and prepare, you never try, you never launch, you never put it out there. So it never gets fixed. So, and, and until you put something out there and it's wrong, you're that much further away from getting it right. The second you do something and it's wrong and then you fix it, you're that much closer to getting it right. So it's so important. It's so important that we, we, ha we break that mentality that we can never be wrong or that we can't make mistakes. So I call it the joy of making mistakes, JOM, J-O-M-M, the joy of making mistakes or the joy of being wrong. It, and it is truly a skill. And it, here's the other reason why you want to get really good at this. And like, here's my call to action to you. This is your homework assignment. Find an opportunity to admit to someone that you were wrong. And I'm going to triple dog dare you to make a comment in our Facebook group and let us know what it was you, you recently admitted that you were wrong. If you refuse to admit you're wrong, and we all know that person, that person experiences zero personal growth. You can't grow if you think that you are above making mistakes. You don't grow. You don't expand your brain. You don't expand your thinking. You have a fixed mindset if you stop questioning and challenging yourself. We stop growing. When we admit that we're wrong, we break the shackles of perfectionism. And I say this all the time. I know you've heard this before. I'm just going to keep repeating it. And one of these days, I'm just going to say it and it's going to sink in just the right way. Perfectionism kills dreams. Perfectionism keeps us poor. It keeps us anxiety-ridden. 
It keeps us unfulfilled. Perfectionism is the thief of joy. I know you've heard comparison. No, perfectionism is the thief of joy. And when we admit that we're wrong and when we find joy in making mistakes, it brings us that much closer to getting it right. One small mistake, one big mistake, a hundred mistakes a day will not change your life, nor will being wrong. No one's going to die from it. Rebounding and admitting that you've made a mistake actually makes you a better person. It makes you a more likable person. It makes you a more evolved person. And it's probably one of the best things that you can do for anyone else is to admit that you were wrong. If in fact you were wrong, like don't admit it just because you're rolling over. But you know what I'm saying? Like as Thomas Edison used to say, I didn't fail a thousand times. I just found a thousand ways that didn't work. I love that. Okay. So here's another really important thing. If, if you're one of those people and we all know them, I I tend to find, this is just my personal opinion. Y'all know I'm not a therapist, but my best friend is one. So, you know, therefore by proxy, just joking. But I do find that the people who are, are, who speak in definitives, and I'm always telling my son this and, and my husband this, and I think it's because they're quarterbacks and leaders, but I'm, I'm always reminding them not to say things like, always, this is how it's got to be. Never do this. Always do this. You know, those are definitives. And when we make statements like that, we're kind of telling other people, don't challenge me and I will not be wrong. I think it's better, this is my personal opinion, for ourselves and for other people, if we speak in a little less, with a little less definitive language. So here's what I mean. You you notice, I'm sure, in some of my podcasts, the other day I said, we should have a drinking game. And every time I say more often than not, in a podcast, now you're going to notice it. Now you're going to notice that I say this phrase all the freaking time. It drives me crazy that I say this word. I'm trying to say it, or that phrase. I'm trying to say it less and less. But it is one of the phrases that I say because I want there to be room for exceptions because there always are exceptions. So you will often hear me say in podcasts, more often than not, which is an, it's just a more open and forgiving way of stating something versus all men are this, or all children do this, or when this happens. No, it's saying more often than not. Most of the time is that language. In some cases, in many cases, in many cases is a much more graceful or grace-giving phrase than in all cases, or this always happens. I also think it's very important. See what I just said? I said, I also think. I didn't say, it's important. But I think it is important to start sentences where you, you have a strong belief, but there's no way in the world you could be all-knowing. Then start those sentences with, I think, I believe. Is it possible? I'm not sure, but. Oh, thank you. Okay, so update. What you just heard at that last little clip was the woman who like basically walks you out to your plane coming into the little conference room that they had arranged for me to record the podcast in. And I had locked myself in there and like shut the door so I could record this for you guys. And she was like, you have to go. The plane is leaving. I'm like, oh, okay. So this is a story that I'm going to tell on Friday's 
podcast this week. I'll, I'll tell you like the whole story, but if you're following me on Instagram, you know it's a good one. So now we're back in our car. We've landed safely. Uh, you're going to get that story on Friday. Stay tuned. Don't let me forget. However, let me pick up where I left off. The point I was making when they told me I had to catch a flight was that I really think it's important that we remember to use language that is grace-giving, that allows for mistakes to happen. That way, you don't feel so defensive when you are wrong. There's been instances, I keep thinking about when this happens at work, where I, in my mind, I'm like, I know I'm right. I know they did this wrong. I know this, this, and this was said. I'm positive of it. You know, I'm saying this in my head. Nonetheless, I'll start the conversation off by saying, I'm thinking that what might have happened here, and I could be wrong. I always, Brett is in the car now. Don't I always say, and I could be wrong? You, that's, it's a catchphrase. <laughs> like, I, I could be wrong. Because I want to be wrong if I am wrong. I don't want to be, I don't want to be so defensive or so definitive with my statements that it doesn't allow for people to say, to speak their truth and say, well, no, actually it didn't happen that way. Or actually you are wrong because especially when you're the boss or you own the company, people tend to feel like, oh, I don't want to step on toes. But as I always say, when we have conflict or disagreement, which is somebody pointing out that you're wrong, we are a better company for our customers. When we're all on the same team, right? Like we all want the best possible outcome so if I'm wrong, you need to tell me because if I'm wrong, that's going to hurt or that's going to be of a detriment to our customers. And I think that's true of a relationship, of a marriage, just about anything. Like we're all on the same team on this planet. We should think of it that way, right? Ultimately, we all want love. Ultimately, we want to take care of our families and hopefully most people want peace. So in that regard, we're all on the same team. So why not start with like, I could be wrong, but this is what I think is going on. I could be wrong, but here's what I believe happened. And in those instances where we forget to use that grace, forgiving language, and we do make definitive statements, you know, like I, I did today in which I, I apologized for and said, yeah, you know, I was wrong. I was wrong by saying that. That, was, that wasn't a correct statement. It, w- it could be very easily misinterpreted. So it, it went a long way. I did that apology and I got so many lovely, kind messages back from those people who had reached out to me. And there were a lot. And many of them were like, they said exactly what I told you. They said, thank you. This restored my confidence in you. I've been a fan for a long time. I, I know you're a, a truth seeker. And so it means a lot that you actually pa- took pause and had took the time to hear what we had to say. And then you apologized and made it right. And even in still doing so, I still was able to say, nonetheless, let me fix that. But I'm still entitled to my opinion about a book. Here's what I think is really important for all of us to keep in mind when it comes to exercising this skill. Being wrong is a skill and it's an important skill. It's a skill that makes you grow. It's a skill that makes you likable. It's a skill that brings peace. It's a skill that helps you to be more knowledgeable and more evolved. So it's a skill we all need to practice. I think we all agree on that, right? So here are some ways that you're going to, if you focus on these things, I promise you're going to get better at being wrong. Number one, you have to remain teachable. 
That means when you think someone is wrong and you think you're right and they go to make their case, you have to actually hear them. And I know that you, well, most of us, when someone's doing that, we just want them to hurry up and finish what they're saying so that we can interrupt them and tell them that they're wrong. But in order to be teachable, you really do have to listen and think about it like a scientist. There's a really great book I referenced a few weeks ago that specifically teaches that. Let me see if I can't find the name of it again because now I'm forgetting it. There it is. Think again, the power of knowing what you don't know (laughs) by organizational psychologist Adam Grant. Such a great book. And he describes the three different ways that we basically defend our truths. One of them is to be like the preacher, right? The other style is to be the persecutor. And then the last style is to be the politician. And when we're in preacher mode, we are just so convinced that we're right. When we're in prosecutor mode, we are trying to prove that others are wrong. And then when we're in the politician's mode, We're really trying to manipulate people and try to win over their approval so that they know that we're right. And none of those things are are wise. We want to look at things almost like a scientist. And unfortunately, I almost think scientists haven't been doing this recently. I'm sure you guys would agree. Like it feels like scientists have stopped looking at scientific data and they just want to believe they're right or wrong. So maybe looking at it like unbiased scientists. How about that? And that means you have to remain teachable. Are you teachable? Are you coachable? Or are you fixed in your mindset? It also helps if you are just incredibly curious. Like where where could I be wrong? What could I have known? Or what could I learn that might open up my eyes or help me to see things differently? And then when you are wrong, just know that it has nothing to do with you. It doesn't make you a lesser person or less intelligent or less wise. People don't think, oh, that person admitted they're wrong and that just proves that they're dumb. No, you you come across as more humble, more intelligent, and more open-minded when you just own it and say, you're right, I was wrong. I also think it's really important that when you are right, this is a tough one for some of us, when you are right and it's proven that you're right, be humble. Why'd you look at me? I didn't. I swear. I just felt eyeballs on me. (laughs) I do it too. I think we all do it, right? Like, we're like, I told you so. You know, but it is important to try to stay humble. I don't say I told you so. I know. I I probably do more than anybody. You're right. And I just want to finish, close this up by saying thank you for tolerating the fact that the audio is is inconsistent for today but i wanted to give you guys some some new fresh podcast content hopefully you got to listen to last friday's car smart edition people were like a little bit on the ornery side because i repurposed i played two podcasts that had been previously released but quite some time ago that i thought were really topical and so I don't think that we were wrong in doing that. You know, sometimes you have to do what's best for your own mental and emotional health. But nonetheless, a lot of you really enjoyed those episodes. And we got some great feedback, especially on the financial one from Brett. So thank you for that. But, you know, I do make mistakes. And when I make them, I'm going to try to own up to them. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on getting better at being wrong. I very much enjoy making mistakes. I think mistakes are hysterical. I've got some really funny stories that I can share with you about making mistakes. I did in my workshops last week, I talked about some really big mistakes that I've made that 
thank God I made them because they've helped us to make a lot of money and to progress our business and to progress my career. And, you know, every once in a while here, someone will reach out and they'll say like, oh, you know, it's been so fun to follow you. I used to take your classes back in 2003 in Aliso Viejo, California. It's just so crazy to see how far you've come, which I really appreciate that. That's it's nice to hear. But when someone asks me like, how have you done that? Like, what is it? Is it luck? Is it what, any number of things? And I, I don't know, maybe I'm oversimplifying it, but it's just enjoying the process of making a lot of mis- going for it. Just, just going for it and knowing it's going to be sloppy. It's going to be messy. I'm going to be wrong. I'm going to make a lot of mistakes. I should do a whole podcast about all the things, major things that I have done wrong, the mistakes I've made where I thought it was right. And we just went for it and it was messy. And because of those mistakes, we got better and better and better. And, and that's, I guess, ultimately the takeaway. Being wrong and making mistakes are so valuable. So just embrace them. Get excited about it. Find joy in it. Get good at it. I love you. I mean it. And I'll talk to you soon. Hey, it's Kristen, Shaleen's podcast manager. Look at you. You made it all the way to the end. That's awesome. If you love this episode, which I'm sure you did, why don't you go leave Shaleen a review? She would love to know which episode it was and why you liked it. What hit home with you? Shaleen literally reads every single review. She loves hearing your feedback and she uses your comments and your ideas for future episodes. So go leave a review. And while you're at it, could you check to make sure you're subscribed? That way you will never miss a single episode of The Shaleen Show, which we release on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, every single week. Now, if you need a little bit more podcasting to fill up your time on Tuesdays and Thursdays, did you know that Shaleen has another podcast that she co-hosts with her son, Brock? Yep, she does. It's called Build Your Tribe. And that podcast is all about business and marketing, but also devoted to helping you make more money so you can live more life. If you need Shalene all the time and you're the ultimate lifer, then you have got to check out The Shalene Show on Patreon. Shalene is so personal. She spills the tea on everything that she can't on her regular podcast. And you also get bread completely unedited, unfiltered, and hilariously confident about everything. You can find it at patreon.com forward slash The Shaleen Show. Anyways, thanks for listening. And remember, anything that we reference in this episode, including the links to our show sponsors and links to the other podcasts can be found in the show notes below.